Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Uh, we are glad that you are here. Am I on? Well, maybe not. Maybe so. Maybe I didn't turn the switch. Oh, I was fine. Let the let the record indicate that I was right. So that'll be like one little mark on that page for me, won't it? Yeah. Well, it is good to see all of you. Glad uh, glad that you're here. Um, thrilled that we were able to have vacation Bible school this past week. I'm telling you, uh, con- considering where we were last summer, the fact that we've been to Falls Creek and uh, we have had vacation Bible school is nothing short of miracle of the Lord. Uh, and what a cool thing it is that we've been able to get our children and our students gathered back together, either in VBS or in Falls Creek, where they have heard the gospel. Uh, we really appreciate all the folks that have worked uh, so hard in each of those endeavors uh, to make that happen. This morning, we're going to be back in the book of Proverbs. If you were able to be with us last Sunday, you know, we stepped out of uh, our series in Proverbs to, to do kind of the 4th of July thing, and we're going to go back to Proverbs this morning, Proverbs chapter 3. I hope if you have a copy of God's Word, you'll find it, and I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bible open. Uh, There will be some very familiar things that we will encounter in this chapter, and maybe some notes that you'll want to take in the margin of your Bible so you can get back to it later. Uh, We have, we've been talking a lot about how life really is just a series of forks in the road, and and every fork that we come to, one is the path to wisdom, and the, the other one is the, the road to, to foolishness, which only leads us to the foolish things of life. Uh, and, there, and, and as we've talked about, we're all really just one decision away from foolishness, right? Uh, we, we are either in the midst of that decision right now, we are about to make that decision, or we're just coming out of it. Doesn't that, doesn't that encourage you? But, but that's kind of where we all are. That's how life is. Every step we take is another fork in the road, and we have to make the decision to take the path of wisdom or we're going to go down the road to foolishness. So we'll pick up uh, the book of Proverbs in chapter 3, verse 1. I want to pray for us, and then we'll read God's Word together and spend a little time just trying to unpack some of this to see if maybe the Lord has something that He wants to speak into our lives today and, 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 and use to change us on this great and glorious morning. Can we pray together? Father, we are grateful for the day, grateful for your great love, thankful for this Lord's day that you've given us. Father, we thank you that that you are all-powerful, you are all-knowing, you are all-reaching. God, that there is not one person on the face of this planet that you don't love, and there's not one person on uh, on the face of this planet that Jesus didn't die for. But yet, God, we know that not everyone's going to accept that, not everyone's going to receive that. And I pray, Father, that as we go about the lives that you've given us, that we'll be faithful to share the gospel and make sure that people know uh, the, the name of Jesus and know what Jesus has done for all of us, that they might be saved. God, I thank you for the testimony of this church and this community over the years. And pray, God, that you continue to unite the people that call First Baptist Enid home and and that you would use them as great tools for your kingdom as, as you reach into this community and this surrounding part of the state. God, help us today as we, as we get into your word that we understand that it is your word, that it is infallible and inerrant, and that it is complete. It is exactly what it is that you want us to have on this day. Help us to receive it as such. In the blessed name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. And all the Lord's people said... Amen. Proverbs chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 1. My son, which is my child, 
Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Did you just, did, did, did you just see that? That keeping the commandments of God will add length of days and years of life and peace, the word shalom, which is not necessarily the absence of conflict, but a wholeness, a completeness, keeping the commandments of God will add that to your life. Verse three. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success. You want, you want to be successful, then, then stay after the statutes of God. Stay after the commandments of God. Verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh. The, the word flesh is a very interesting word. It really doesn't capture what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew actually says it will be healing to your navel, your belly button. Isn't it something that God is, is going to bring healing to your belly button? Though I don't know if any of you have a sick belly button this morning, but I got hope for you if you do. Yeah. And I didn't make that up. You can look that up. I'm, I'm, I'm actually telling you the truth about that. It will be healing to, and if y'all don't think that's funny, I got nothing today. <laughs> it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment or medicine to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your, then, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, those of you with some experience in church, uh, when you saw verses five and six, you, you probably thought, hey, I know those verses. Those, those verses are very familiar to me. And, and, and the reality is verses five and six of, of chapter three may be the best known verses, the most famous verses in the entire book of Proverbs. But I, but I wonder how many of us have ever slowed down and just really thought about what the scripture's teaching us in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. If, if, if you'll look there, no, notice, notice that it begins with the word trust. And, 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 and as you look at this word trust in the Hebrew language, it is a picture of throwing yourself completely on someone in total reliance, watch this, of his ability not only to catch you, but to hold on to you. The, this trusting is the ability of someone to catch and, and hold on. I was, I was thinking about a good way to illustrate that uh, for you. And the best I came up with, many of you know that in my previous life, I was a public school educator. I spent a few years in Sepulpa as high school principal. Um, and when my first year as high school principal in Sepulpa High School, the, the, the high school actually had a ropes course. They had their own ropes course. And, and before school started, the student council was meeting, and, and they came to me, and they wanted me to go to the ropes course with them. And that, that should have been a warning, but I wasn't real smart back then, kind of like I'm not now. So I went with them out there. And, and so we've got the student council of Sepulpa High School. We've got the, the student body president, a young man, good-looking young man who was, was, was really well-liked, strong, athletic, smart kid. So he was there, I was there, and the student council was there. And the first thing on the, on the ropes course was a trust fall. And what they'd done, they'd gone up a couple of post oak trees and, and they'd built a little platform. 
And the deal was you had to walk out on, the, on that platform and turn your back and you had to put your arms over your chest and then stiff-legged you had to fall off that platform and let the kids catch you. Now remember, I'm the high school principal. Not a kid in the world that didn't want to see his high school principal hit the ground, right? Now, I don't know if you've noticed this about me, but control is really important to me. I really like for my life to be in control. And when it gets a little out of control, I get a little nervous. So there I am out on the end of this board, kind of grabbing it with my toes. I've got my arms crossed, and the kids are standing like this, side by side, trying to, they're getting ready to catch me. And, and I promise you, I'm doing everything in my power to, to slide off that board. I, I want to do that so desperately. And in the tree next to me is the student body president, the young man I was telling you about. He has assumed the position as well, and he's supposed to do a trust fall. Now, he's well-liked, well-liked. And I'm standing there praying to God that I have the courage to fall off this board stiff-legged onto the, let these kids catch me. And I hear this really weird noise that ends with this thump. And I look over, and the student body president is laying on the ground. The kids have let him fall all the way to the ground. He's on the ground. He can't breathe. This knocked the breath out of him. And there I am trying to get up the courage to trust those kids enough to fall off that tree. You, you probably wonder if I ever did it. I did. It took me about three days, but I finally got up enough courage. And now you want to know, did the kids catch you? Yes, they did. I don't know why, because they let their student body president fall. But they, they, for whatever reason, they, they caught me. And, 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 and so that trust fall, as I think about that, is really a good picture of staking everything on somebody else. Now, when we look in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, this is a picture of staking everything on the person and the power and the purpose of God. It, it, it is such a total dependence on God that if he somehow fails us, then we are doomed. But on the other hand, if he comes through, then we are saved. Now, think about this with me. This, this reliance, this trust cannot be a, a half-hearted affair. When, when the trust fall that I was supposed to do, I, I couldn't bend my, my knees and try to slide off. I, I, I couldn't turn forward and jump off. I had to fall off backwards. It, it was crazy, a crazy thing to do, but it, but it took a lot of, of trust. It, it wasn't going to be a half-hearted affair. It, it's kind of like it's kind of like the chicken and the, and the pig's involvement in your breakfast. You see, a chicken can be half-hearted, and you can still have eggs for breakfast. But if that pig ain't all in, there's no bacon, right? He's all in, or there's no meat for breakfast. So you think, you think about that with me, and, and, and what I'm telling you is the Bible, when we, when we get to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible is challenging us to go all in. When it comes to trusting God, we, we are to trust him with all of our heart, with all of our life. This, this is this wholehearted trust. And maybe as you're looking at, and, and looking at that in Proverbs 3, 5, you're wondering, what, is, what does that look like? What, is it, what does it look like to live with a wholehearted trust of God? Let me give you a couple of litmus tests, just quickly a couple of things that, that might help you see better and think more about what it looks like to completely, wholeheartedly trust God. The first one is this. You have to let the Bible overrule your thinking. You have to let the Bible overrule your thinking. Look in verse 5. Verse 5 cautions us about leaning on your own understanding. 
Have, have you ever been at one of those difficult crossroads trying to decide which way you're going to go? Trying to decide which is the path of wisdom and which is the road to foolishness. Have you ever been standing at one of those crossroads and, and a well-meaning friend come alongside of you and, and ask you, well, well, what are you going to do? What, what direction are you, are you going to take? And, and, and in that situation, have you ever said to a well-meaning friend, well, I'm, I'm not sure, but, but I'm kind of leaning this way. I'm kind of leaning in this direction. You, you ever been there? I'm the only one that's ever been there. Y'all pray for me. Because I think all of us at some point in our lives have said to somebody else, well, I'm really not sure what I'm going to do, but I'm kind of leaning, I'm kind of leaning this way. Listen, listen, as you look at what Proverbs says in chapter three, verses five and six, the Bible never calls us to lean our way into making a decision. So here's the question. When you're standing at the fork in the road, kind of leaning in a particular direction, what do you do when the, when, when the Bible contradicts what you want to be the truth? You know, a wholehearted trust means that you allow God's Word to, to challenge your spirit and to change your mind regardless of what you wanted to do or even what others wanted you to do. Here's the second litmus test for this wholehearted trust. And here it is. When's, when's the last time that you took a risk to obey God? When's the last time that you took a financial risk to obey God? When's the last time that you took a relational risk to obey God? When's the last time that you took a risk to do what God has told you to do? When's the last time that you risk your profession, to trust God? When's, when's the last time that, that you chose your path because of what you know about God? And that's really what the beginning of verse 6 is telling us about. Look with me at the beginning of verse 6. We need to know God personally. Look at what it says. We need to know God personally in all of our ways. You know what that means? We need to know God personally in all of the paths that, that we take. The, the message paraphrase of the Bible translates verse 6 this way. Listen. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He is the one that will keep you on track. Listen for God's voice everywhere you go. Every decision that you make, listen for God's voice because He will keep you on track. And God's track, by the way, is always the path of wisdom and never the road to foolishness. Now jump down to verse 7. Verse 7 cautions us about being wise in our own eyes. You know, when, when, you, when you think that you have figured it all out by yourself and you're just one step away from, from the road to foolishness, which can only lead to doing foolish things, stupid things. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. As the great theologian Mr. T puts it, pity the fool, Right? I can't, I did, that didn't work with you guys. It will not work at 1030. Those kids are going to have no idea who Mr. T is. And you do, you just won't admit it. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you think you've got it all figured out is when you are in the most dangerous position of life. 
When you think you've got all the wisdom you need to take the right, you're in trouble. You're in danger. Because at the end of the day, we don't ever have it figured out. God is the only one that has it figured out. So when we're figuring it out, we better figure it out the way God has it figured out. We better rely upon his wisdom because our wisdom will always fail us. Always fail us. We are in a dangerous place when we think we have the smarts to make every decision that comes our way. You see, the universe is not designed to work according to your wisdom. You may think you got it. You may think everything's headed in your way. By the way, if you ever get around anybody that's like that, that they think they've got it and they've got it all figured out and they know it all, you better run away from them. Those folks will be the folks that will get you in trouble because none of us know it all. In fact, in fact, the, the, the closer we get to God, the more we understand that we don't have it figured out. And, and, and listen, the more we do learn, the more humble we become. Knowledge of God's word never leads to pride. It always leads to humility. When you're learning the word of God, when you're learning from God, when the spirit of God is teaching you, it will always lead to a place of of humility. Now, look at verse seven. Verse seven says, you gotta turn around. Gotta turn around. But did you notice notice what's required for turning around? Look at what the Bible says. You have to fear the Lord. Now remember in Proverbs, more often than not, when it talks about fearing the Lord, it's not being afraid of God or terrified of God. When it talks about being uh, uh, fearful of the Lord or fearing the Lord, it it is the the knowledge, it is the the idea of opening yourself to him, opening yourself to to his wisdom. You are on the road road to foolishness because you've turned away from God. You've closed yourself off from God. You're not listening to what God has to say. You're closed off to him. You're not, you're not interested. You're not paying attention to what he has to say. So what do you do? Proverbs says you turn around. You open yourself to God. You open yourself to his wisdom, to his direction. And if you do that, you will find yourself on the path to wisdom every time. Listen, God's ways are not your ways. God's thoughts are not your thoughts. You have to turn to him, open yourself up to him, and when you do, he will always give you his word that you need at that moment in your life. The problem is when we come to that fork in the road and we're trying to decide the path of wisdom and the road to foolishness, when we go down the road to foolishness, we have always turned our back on God. Either intentionally or unintentionally, we have turned away from God. And when we have turned away from him, we are not in a position to receive anything from him. But on the other hand, when we're on that path to wisdom, we have opened ourselves to God. And we are in a great position to receive what he has for us. You say, well, Joe, that, that, that's interesting and I appreciate that, but... But, but can, you, can you help me understand it a little bit better? Listen, I don't have to help you. This, this chapter actually does it for us. 
It gives us a couple of examples of, of what it looks like to be open to God. It, 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 it gives us a couple of examples of what it looks like to turn to God and to receive from Him this wisdom, which, again, might be very different than what we thought was going to be accurate or what we thought we wanted to do. Look, look the first one is the first one's found in verses 9 and 10. Let, let's assume that you're having financial struggles, and, and for some of us that's not an assumption, it's just a fact of life. But, but for the illustration that the Scripture gives us, assume that you're having financial struggles, that money is tight, that, that you got more month uh, than you got money, that you got more bills than you got the ability to pay. Let's, let's assume that you're in a financial struggle and it's difficult, you're just, you're just barely making ends meet. And, 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 and if, you, if you ask Man, what do you do about this problem? If you, if, you, if, if you step away from the Scripture and you try to find a solution in the world, you're going to be one of three possibilities. One, you've got to make more money, right? If you're, if, if you're in a financial struggle, the way out is you've got to make more money. If that doesn't work, you've got to spend less money. And if that doesn't work, you've got to go deeper into debt. Those are the three things the world's going to tell you if you're in a financial struggle. Make more, spend less, borrow more. That's how you're going to get yourself out of the financial struggle. Do you understand that, 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 that the, the Bible gives us a very different solution to that problem? Because the reality is if your solution is to make more or to spend less or to borrow more, listen, you, you're actually headed down the road to foolishness. That is not going to solve the financial problems and struggles that you are in. You say, well, Joe, if that's not it, what is? Let's look at the Bible. The Bible says that when, when you're in that financial struggle, when you're in that financial difficulty, that the path of wisdom will always lead you to use your resources to honor the Lord, to, to prove that the Lord is ultimate in your life and to make him famous to others. So how is it that you honor the Lord with your financial resources? Look in verse 9. There are two things. Do you want to know how to honor the Lord with your financial resources? Verse 9 gives us two things to do. Here's the first one. It speaks of your first fruits. In other words, you give God the best that you have. That's the path to wisdom. Now, the road to foolishness would say that if you give anything to God, that you give him the seconds, you give him, you give him the leftovers, you, 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 you give him what you haven't used. Oh, no, 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 that's the road to foolishness. That's when you've got your back turned to God. But when you open yourself to God and you turn toward God and you ask for his wisdom, what you discover is that the solution to financial struggles in your home and in your family and in your life, the solution, the solution is to give him the best that you have. The first part, not the last part, but the first part. Look, verse 9 also gives us another description. It speaks of all your produce. That's all that you have. Not only am I going to give God the first part, not only am I going to give God the best part, but I'm going to give God all that I have. And you would say, well, Joe, how in the world does that work? If I'm in a financial struggle, if, I, if I'm in a financial mess, I've got to make more. I've got to spend less. I've got to borrow more. That's, that's how I'm going to get out of it. No, 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 no. No, how you get out of it is you honor God with the best that you have. And you honor God with all that you have. That's the road to wisdom. See, our, our wisdom says that if you're struggling financially, you better, you better hold on to what you got. 
You know what God says? It's not hold on to what you got. What God says is let go of what you have. The reality is that those on the, on the, on the road to foolishness are always tight-fisted people when it comes to God. Always tight-fisted. But those on the path to wisdom are open-handed. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 tells us the result of this. God's, look, you ought to underline this one. God's capacity to give always outweighs your capacity to receive. God's capacity to give is bigger than your capacity to receive. You, you, know, you, know, you know one of the reasons that we go through so much life without receiving what God has for us is because we go through life with our, with our fists clenched. So even if God poured out a blessing, we can't receive it, right? It just pours over us. It just runs over us. We don't get any of it. Now watch. You would think that the solution to that is just to open your hands. That's not the solution. Not yet. Watch out now. Watch out now. If you're living like this, you got to do this and let go of it all and then open yourself to what the Lord has for you. You want the Lord to bless you? Start here. Turn loose of everything you got hold of. Turn loose of it and then turn to him. And the blessing, the, the God's ability, his capacity to bless is always greater than your capacity to receive. You live like this. You live open-handed. And watch what it is that God will pour into your life, what he will put into your hand. Now, that's just one example. Here's the second example. Look in verses 11 and 12. It has to do with God's discipline or correction in your lives. Now listen, if, if, if there is discipline going in your life, if, if there's correction going on in your life, that's either proof that God loves you or it's proof that God hates your guts. Either way, our first reaction to that is to get away from it, right? Anybody enjoy correction? Anybody enjoy discipline? No, no, none of us like that. I, I remember when I was a kid growing up that, that periodically I would get in trouble. I know that's very hard for you to believe knowing how perf perfect I've become over the years. But boy, when I was a punk kid, I was trouble. Trouble. My dad was a truck driver, so he, he was gone a lot of the time. And it was left up to mom to discipline us, right? And, and she was pretty good at it. I, I grew up in the day that, that anything that she could get her hand on was good enough to whack me with, Right? Y'all remember those days? Yeah. My mom was one of the first people I know that ever practiced timeout as a discipline method. You know what timeout was when I was growing up? She'd take timeout to catch her breath and then she'd start beating on me again. That's what it was. <laughs> it wasn't this go set in the corner business. I, I'm, I've worn myself out whipping you. Just stay right there and I'm going to whip you some more. But, but, but I remember growing up. That when it, whatever, whatever it was that I did wrong and the discipline was coming, it was like a chase. And mom could always catch me and she'd catch me by one hand and we'd go, we'd go in a circle. We'd do the dance, right? 
Because I'd, I'd be going around the circle and she'd be warming up my backside. There wasn't anything good about that. There was nothing positive about that. There was no time back then when I ever said to my mom, Mom, thanks. Man, I appreciate you doing that. Well, I know that just means you love me. I never said that to my mom growing up. Not at all. I walked away rubbing my backside, thinking I'm not going to get caught next time. That hurts. Right? So now we come to the scripture. And the Bible says the Lord disciplines us. He corrects us. So you have to decide, is he doing that because he loves you? Or is he doing that because he hates your guts? You've got you to make a decision about this. Now, none of us, none of us enjoy it. Our nature is to reject it, to, to get away from it. The path of wisdom, however, stay with me. The path of wisdom, however, leads us to receive that discipline, that correction. It's proof that God loves us. In fact, in fact, if you want to be better, if you want your life to be better, one of the ways that works is you open yourself up to receive that correction, that discipline from the Lord. Think about it. Think about it this way. God's correction is not evidence that he doesn't like us. God's correction is not evidence that he doesn't want us to be happy. God's correction is not even evidence of some weird pleasure that he gets out of, uh, out of hurting us. But instead, this is so important. His correction, you ought to write this down. His correction is evidence of his investing and reinvesting in us. The reason God corrects us The reason God disciplines us is proof that he's investing in us and that he is reinvesting in us. Think about this. God does not hate you. If he did, he wouldn't even bother with you. But the reality is God loves you and because he does, he's constantly improving the work of art that he sees you to be. Imagine, if you will, the great artist with the big block of granite. And, 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 I, and I, I hear that these artists with these great big blocks of granite, that they're going to they're gonna carve something out of the granite, that, that their, their chore is just to take away the part of the rock that isn't a part of the piece of art. And that's weird to me. But somehow they can see that. And they begin to chisel away on that rock, right? And, and chisel away on that rock. And, and suddenly a part of the, the, uh, the, 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 the artwork comes out of that rock. And they continue, to work, they continue to chisel away at the part of the rock that's not going to be a part of the statue. That's the way God operates. He, he's, he's just continually chipping away at the parts of you that are not a part of the masterpiece that he sees when he looks at you. So he's always working on me. He's always chipping away at me. And not just me, but you. Chipping away. Taking away the parts that that I don't need. Taking away the parts that are in the way. Taking away the parts that that are going to be a distraction. He's putting these finishing touches on you, his masterpiece. And you know what? It would be foolish to reject that. It would be foolish to say, God, would you just stop doing that to me? It would be 
foolish to do that. But that's exactly what we do when we go down the road to foolishness. We turn our back to God. We walk away from God. And in effect, we're saying to him, just, just quit messing with me. Just stop. I'll be fine the way I Just leave me alone, God. On the other hand, when we go down the path of wisdom, it leads us right into the loving correction of God. Because God loves you, he's going to correct you. Because God loves you, he's going to discipline you. Because God loves you, he's going to chip away at the parts of your life that you don't need and that shouldn't be there and that distract you from becoming the masterpiece that God already sees you to be. That's what I came to tell you today. I don't know that I have anything else to tell you. For those of you at that fork in the road, choose wisdom. Even when it doesn't make sense, choose wisdom. Stay off the foolishness. Stay away from it. It will get you hurt or hurt somebody else. Choose the path of wisdom. Do what the scripture says and see what it is that God will do in your life. You bow your head and close your eyes, will you? The altar is open. We would love for you to come and pray. If you'd like someone to pray with you, we'd love to do that for you. Listen, God loves you. That's one of the proofs of his correction. His, his reproof is that he loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for your sin and because of your sin. He loves you so much that he raised his only son from the grave. He loves you so, so much. But listen, if you've got your back turned to him and you've got your hands closed, you'll not receive or experience any of that. You've got to turn to him, toward him. Open your hands and receive what it is that he has for you on this great and this glorious Lord's Day. We're going to sing for a few minutes. Altar's open. You come. If you'd like to know more about being saved, I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you want to know about being baptized, we'll talk about that. Or being a church member, we'll talk about that. Whatever it is, whatever it is the Lord has placed in your heart, you come on this day, will you? Let's stand together as we sing.